We are going to be in John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. We've been in the Gospel of John for the last number of weeks, and we've been getting to see Jesus, and we've been getting to see how he interacts with people. I, I don't know if I've noticed this for the first time, but it feels like John in particular helps us to see all these different sorts of interactions that Jesus have with all sorts of different peoples. That's in the other Gospels as well. But there's just something about this Gospel of John that that has been sticking out to me. Sorry, I'm wiping the water off of my small mustache. And so, um, so I, I've been loving it, and we're going to continue to do that today. Here's something I wish, though. I wish that the Bible was more like a fable, Okay, and, and the reason I wish that is because it would be easier to preach if the Bible was more like a fable. Here's what I mean. Maybe you don't know what a fable is. Fables are all those like short stories we heard when we were kids at bedtime or at school that, you know, like the tortoise, the hare would be a fable. And the idea of a fable is it's a fictional little story that you can tell and it teaches a lesson, right? There's a lesson at the end of the fable. So with the tortoise and the hare, you've got this kind of overconfident hare who is short he could beat this tortoise in a race and the tortoise is like no let's go and so the hare is too confident takes a nap the tortoise passes him while saying slow and steady wins the race over and over and so the lesson of that fable of course is if you go slow and take your time that's you'll I don't you'll win the race I don't I don't I don't know that's all I got out of it when I was a kid and so um, and which didn't work out in actual races I'd try at recess and so I wish that the Bible was more like that sometimes, if I'm honest, as a preacher. Because if that's how the Bible was as a preacher, it's really easy to preach that, right? You go, here's the story, here's the lesson. Now be slow and steady. Or <laughs> like that's what, that's what it would be like. But the Bible is not like that. It's not like that. The Bible is all sorts of genres. It's all sorts of ways that God is communicating to us about who he is and what he's doing in this world. And so the Bible isn't a fable. There is a, a way that the Bible gets categorized that I think will be helpful for us today to just think about and understand. And, and that way is, uh, you might have heard this term before, but it's ancient Jewish meditation literature. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but the Bible Project, they have a video on YouTube about that right now. And so the idea of this and how the, how the Bible has been categorized in this way is the Bible is this book that ancient Jewish people wrote by the power of God to speak the words of God. So God's speaking the word through them, and it's a book that we could keep coming to time and time and time again and get something fresh out of it. We can even get something new out of it. Not change its meaning, but that we can constantly be going to the scripture and meditate on it. Now, I know in recent years that word's freaked people out, that med meditation word. The only problem with that is the Psalms use that word a lot. And it simply just means this. Go to the Bible and think about it. Go to the Bible and keep thinking about it. Think about God's word all the time. That's what God is inviting us into when, when he's asking us to meditate on his law or his word. And so what happens if we study the Bible that way, what happens is we go to a, a Bible story and, and there's more that can be taken from it. 
right? And so here's what today's going to kind of look like. Uh, we've been doing these Bible studies called the Person of Jesus Bible Study in our church. Some of the RCs have done them. Uh, I've led some people through some of them, and, and how they work a lot, they were a lot like our Love Walked Among Us series, if you were here for that, where we kind of inter- interacted and asked for observations and, and these kinds of things. And here, as, as a guy who grew up in the church, here's what's scary to me about those kind of Bible studies. There's always people that have observations that are just totally bonkers, right? You're like, ah, okay, it's all right, Theodore. Like, like you know, that's not true at all. But, you know, but... Even so, in the midst of those Bible studies, a lot of people that have different perspectives than me see true things in the passage that I would have never seen before because they have a different take on it or they're just noticing something that I haven't noticed. And so this is how we can meditate on the word. This is how we can go to a passage and, and gain things from it every time we go to it. I'm afraid that in the church, we've taken the Bible and we've said, you know, if I've read it in a year, I'm good. I've mastered it. And maybe every few years, I'll read it in a year. And I think reading it in a year can be a good thing. But the Bible is not a textbook to be mastered. It's God's word to sit under and be formed by and changed by. And so this is my hope today is we're going to go through a passage that I wish it was like the tortoise and the hare. I wish we could read this healing and be like, so that means do this. But it just, it's not like that. That's just not how the Bible works. Because especially in the Gospel of John, yes, there are many times where Jesus is trying to make a point. And I think all the passages are trying to make the point. But I think the point that we're seeing today is this is what God in the flesh looks like. When God takes on flesh and enters the world and interacts in this world, this is who he is. And so my hope today as we go through this passage is to read the passage. I will try to explain it as we go and I'll stop and say different things. But then I have different observations that are kind of like my preaching points. And they're all scattered. I'm going to be honest. They're all scattered. They're not very well connected. They don't all make a main point. But I think they're all things that we can draw from this passage that can really change us and help us to see Jesus as the creator of the universe. Does that make sense? So this is like, you know, if you're that kind of person who likes a one point and all every, like a preacher to say only the one point, like you're not getting that today. And maybe if I was a better preacher, you could, but that's not happening today. But we're still going to this passage. And maybe the main point is this. We get to watch God in the flesh, in our world, interact. Like this is like, this is real. This is, this really happened. And we get to see what God does, and then make some observations about it, okay? Does that make sense? All right, let's go to John chapter 5, and we will hop into it. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, John is the fourth gospel in the second part of the Bible called the New Testament, and the reason the the parts of the Bible are separated is because there, there seems to be one sort of covenant, one sort of relationship that God used to reveal who he is, and then he has a second new covenant, covenant or new testament that reveals 
uh, who he is and what he's about and how he secures salvation and restoration for the world, okay? And so John is the, the fourth gospel telling the story of Jesus's life. And so we're just going to get into it. John chapter 5, verse 1, it will be on the screen. We're going to read halfway through 9. Here's what it says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five Ruth colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. We're going to stop halfway through verse 9 there. So, what did we just see? Jesus goes up to Jerusalem around a feast. Have you noticed John just keeps pointing out that Jesus does things around feasts. I, I honestly, I haven't done enough study on that to know why, but Jesus liked a buffet, it seems like, you know? Like, Jesus liked, this is why in other gospels you see that, they're like, this guy's just a partier and hangs out with sinners. It, Jesus went to feasts. And so, um, Jesus goes to this feast, we don't know which one, in Jerusalem, and uh, he decides to go to this area that was this kind of like mysterious area where there was this pool of water, and it's actually been uncovered, I believe, archaeologically today, that you could go, I think, to Jerusalem and see it for yourself. And people would go there hoping to be healed uh, by the waters. That's the, so this is where Jesus goes when he goes up to this feast. And there's all kinds of people here with sicknesses and, and different things. Uh, you might have noticed in the ESV, verse 4 is a footnote. And part of that is because verse 4 is more than likely just notes that in some of the early manuscripts of the Bible, so copies of the Bible, the early copies of the words of the Bible, some of those early manuscripts, what sometimes some of those copiers would do is they would put notes in the margins to help you understand the passage better. And so one of the common notes in the early manuscripts of the Bible is something along the lines of, hey, this pool had an angel sent from God that would come and stir up the waters and people would be healed. Like something kind of like that, okay? And so the reason the, the translators of the ESV Bible and even NIV Bible, and I think many, many others don't include that verse in but leave it as a footnote is because they essentially say, hey, this was just a note from the, one, of the, one of the copiers or many of the people who copied down the words of the Bible over and over again. And yeah, so it, it was a note. It's essentially a footnote that's just interesting. And you're probably already going like, so was there an angel that God sent and, and did all this stuff? And, and, and I would say, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, the world is mysterious and God moves in mysterious ways. I would lean towards, no, I don't think so. Like, that's, that's my own... Um, gut on that one. But, um, and I think we can relate to this. There's a lot of places in the world, especially around bodies of water, where people are like, this miraculous healing happened, 
And now, like, lots of people come and flock to this place to try to get healing. There's a lot, there's a lot of places like that in the world, which is just interesting. Um, so this was happening 2,000 years ago. And so Jesus comes up to this place where there's a lot of people who want to get healed, and there's this man in particular there who's been there, who, is, who has been paralyzed or something for 38 years, and he's sitting there, and Jesus begins to have this interaction with him. Here's, here's the first thing I want to say. This word invalid, if I'm honest, this word kind of makes me cringe. I don't know if it makes you cringe. I used to be a teacher, and I used to work with a lot of kids with special needs. And I know that in different times and different places, this word is kind of used to talk about people with different ailments. And so I don't know exactly why a number of the translations use this word to describe the groups of people that were there. But what I think is this, is that it closely represents how... uh, the people in that day referred to the group at this pool. And I think it closely represents what John was trying to communicate about this group. Maybe there's a better word, and that's the funny thing about language and how it kind of ch- English language changes over the years, and, and, and maybe there's a better word to use even now, but I think it shows us how people viewed ev- all those people there as, as invalids, defining them in this way, defining them by their ailment. And I think the hope that gets me, even as that word kind of makes me cringe, again, that's my own stuff there too, but I think what what gives me hope there is Jesus doesn't, Jesus sees this guy as valid, right? Jesus tends to validate people that the rest of the world says, are invalid. That's just who Jesus is. That's where, what we see in this story. And so, um, so Jesus interacts with this man. It's kind of a funny interaction. I kind of imagine it like a, a dad with a kid. This is kind of how I interact. Like, I don't know if you had a kid and you have a surprise for them behind your back, and it's a piece of candy, let's say, and the kid is really focused on getting candy, but they think they got to get up to the cabinets to get it, and you're like, do you want a piece of candy? And the kid's like, yeah, dad, but I got to get up there. You got to open it for me, dad, and I got, like, I can't, and they're just stressed and flustered. Maybe that's just my kids, um, but... And then you go, no, no, do you want a piece of candy? Because I have one, right? Like, I kind of feel like that's what's happening here with this interaction where Jesus is like, do you, do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, yeah, but I, uh, no one's going to take me down there, and I can't get over there fast enough. And, and, then, and then Jesus says, get up. Get up. Take your mat. Go. I love, I, I don't know, also, while, as we've been reading John, I've been just struck by the power of Jesus. I grew up hearing this stuff all the time, and so I think that gets dulled in me sometimes, but I just get struck by, like, Jesus just being like, okay, then get up. Like, get up, dude. Like, that's like, you know, I grew up where people would powerfully pray and pray and pray for healing, right? And Jesus just like, hey, get up. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, you know, it's just so different than I think what I grew up uh, seeing when it comes to healing. All right, so... I've said a lot already. Those weren't my preaching points, just some things to help us understand the text. Here is one of my first observations of the story, one of the first preaching points that I want to say. The first is this. I think sometimes we will wait 38 years for something in this world to fix us when only Jesus truly can. 
I think there's some times where we just wait and wait and wait or keep using something over and over again in hopes that it will fix the deep problem with us, which is sin. And we keep waiting, and really Jesus is the only solution to that problem. The only true and lasting solution to that problem. I'm not saying things can't help. I'm not saying we can't use different things, right? We say all of life is all for Jesus. We think there are many things in this world that we can use to help and make us better people even. But ultimately, those things pale in comparison, no matter what, to Jesus. We live in northern Arizona, so you're going, yeah, get them, Anthony, those people that do that. Um, <laughs> we live in northern Arizona, right? And, and, and so we, we know some of this stuff, right? There's like vortexes, you know, um, there's crystals, there's good energy, there's all kinds of things, there's auras, there's, there's all kinds of things that, that people up here and probably people in this room try to use to help fix us, to help deal with the deep problem of humanity and our own particular humanity. And I'm not, like, and I know for some people they feel like that works, and okay. But we, we are, humans are people that constantly are looking for things to fix them. And I think what we see here is Jesus says, no, only I can fix you. Now, a bunch of you in the room just went, yeah, get the vortex people. Tell them what's up, right? Like, and, and, and listen, I think a whole bunch of us and people like me, we look for other things. We look for other things to fix us, and we wait 38 years for other things to fix us or fix this world in certain ways where only Jesus truly can, right? There, we look for stuff like systems, ideas, programs, mentalities, coaches, diets, and hard work. And we say, Those are, that's the key to salvation. That's the key to getting better. That's the key to true healing, And I think Jesus would say, no, I am the key. Jesus, not Anthony, Jesus is the key. (laughs) To clarify, I am not a cult leader. Jesus is the key. (laughs) Jesus is the key to our healing. Now, I just listed a bunch of stuff. Some of those things are good. Some of those things are even things God would invite us to. Some of those things are bad. Some of those things, I don't know what category to put them in. And so don't hear Anthony said, I can't work hard anymore or something like that. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying working hard is not your salvation. Working hard won't bring you the sort of healing that Jesus can bring. And one day will bring in fullness. Does that make sense? That's a sermon for another day that I maybe shouldn't have even made that point because we could probably spend more time talking and clarifying that. But that's one thing. Jesus is the only thing that can truly fix us. Here's my second observation from this passage so far. We don't always get, we don't always fully understand why God does things the way he does them. Right? Even as I was reading the story and studying it, this week, you, uh, right away I go, why does Jesus heal this guy in particular? Right? Like, there's part of me that goes like, why doesn't he just do like a, everybody. <laughs> like, and everybody there is healed, right? Like, I don't, like, there's just part of me that goes like, why is it this specific guy who's kind of 
cantankerous? Or Why does this guy get this healing? And I think this is a question we ask all the time as Christians. We go, why does it seem like God blesses some and not others? Why does it seem like good things are happening for some people and not others? And I think the only way through that kind of attention in life is to realize that at times, we don't know why God is doing what he's doing, but because he's God, he has a good and a perfect reason for doing it. Now, again, that's God inviting us to trust him, and I don't like that. We've been talking about this theme of belief and trust and entrusting ourselves to Jesus over the last few weeks. God is saying, I'm good and perfect, and I have a reason for doing what I'm doing, and I also have a reason for not telling you what that reason is sometimes. I love this illustration that C.S. Lewis uses in Mere Christianity, and I, I remember reading it in Mere Christianity, but maybe I heard it somewhere else. Maybe it's not C.S. Lewis, but the idea of this is um, he talks about how sometimes our relationship with God looks kind of like this. It's like if you could imagine you're at a picnic and an ant gets on your shoe, and that ant tries to understand you as a human and why you're having a picnic and who you are, what you're doing, uh, like it would be an impossible task for the ant, right? It would just be an impossible task for the ant. And so what C.S. Lewis begins to do, go, uh, say, and I think the illustration starts to break down because I think the nature of ants and humans is different. But that being said, what C.S. Lewis starts to say is the gap between God and humanity is even bigger than the gap between the ant and the human. Like, if God is really the transcendent, good, creator, God of the universe, which I believe him to be, then the gap is immense. And there are certainly things that he'll do that won't make sense to us because it's like we're ants trying to understand a human whose shoe we are on. Okay? And so I think sometimes when we see God do healings and see Jesus do these different things, we get confused. And in our confusion, it builds distrust. And I think what Jesus wants to teach us about himself is you're not always going to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Maybe one day he'll fully reveal that to us. But he's asking us to trust that he's good. And that's a tension throughout the Bible that we just have to sit with. All right, let's, uh, let's keep going. We are going to be halfway through verse 9. So it says this, Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Hey, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. All right, let's stop right there. Okay, this man is healed by Jesus. We find out the plot twist of the story. It was on a Sabbath. If you ever want to have an idea of what it probably was like, uh, to, to have these Sabbath rules and regulations, I highly suggest watching the show The Chosen 
They, the, the show The Chosen is a depiction of Jesus and his followers, and I think they do an amazing job of showing how intense the Sabbath was for, for the Jewish people. And if the, you don't want to do that, um, grow up at the churches I grew up uh, at. And so, uh, <laughs> um, sorry, no, lo, Lord forgive me. Um, a lot of great churches, a lot of great people that love me well. Um, but that being said, uh, the, this happens on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders quickly are like, well, this guy's walking around with his mat. We don't work on the Sabbath. That, we just, that is not our thing. God rested on the seventh day. We rest on the seventh day. We are serious about that. And so this guy's carrying a mat. And they're like, hey, bud, don't carry that mat. And he goes, listen, I, I, uh, I'm confused. I was not walking. Now I am. And it was some guy. He kind of looks like you guys, actually. And I don't know who it was. And they're like, who was it? And they, I love that it's like so repetitive. They're like, who said this to you? And he's like, I, like I said, I don't know. Like, I, I, like, I don't know. And they're like, we got to get to the bottom of this. And then I, my favorite part of the story is like, it says like Jesus withdrew. <laughs> like, because of the crowds. Like, there's all these times in John where it seems like Jesus is like, like, and he just, like, dips out of there, right? Like, he's just like, I don't know, man. I just, like, like, sneaky Jesus is just kind of funny to me. It's always, there's, like, a lot of stories like that. I'm just like, good for you, Jesus. Like, I think he was, like, a little bit of a ninja. I don't know, but um, this is heretical now. Um, but uh, so Jesus sneaks away. And then I love it. I don't know if, I imagine Jesus is watching from afar, like, what's happening or something, but we don't know. And, and then Jesus goes back, and like, so this guy has this intense conflict. Those guys leave, the religious leaders, and Jesus is like, ha ha, <laughs> like, I'm back. <laughs> you know, it's just funny to me. Jesus is kind of funny. I think, he, I think he was messing with everybody in this story. That's my own weird take on the story. But so, and so, and then he says to the guy, like, hey, look, you're well. I made you, I fixed you, not the pool. And, and, and then, and Jesus says this kind of like weird thing. He's like, hey, don't sin anymore. So nothing worse happens to you. And, and every commentator I read said like, hey, Jesus was connecting these things. Like he was saying, hey, your sin kind of got you to this place. So stop. And that's hard when you're reading that because it sounds like, okay, God, like divine spankings come from God and like, I don't know. We just wrestle with that, and that's really hard. And, and, and we've talked about this a little bit over the last couple of years, but when there's suffering in the Bible, God gives a massive variety of reasons for the suffering. The ultimate reason being sin in the world, okay? But he gives a lot of other reasons too, and it's not always the same. And, and more often than not, it seems like there's a mystery to it in how God tells us that. But in this instance, for whatever reason... Jesus wanted to point out, hey, don't, don't keep sinning because it, it, it will just get worse for you. So there, there's a few ways to interpret that or, or whatever. And so maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but my thoughts are they're, they're, for some reason why he found himself in that predicament was because of his own sin. And I think we can relate to that. I think we can relate to the idea that sometimes our sin <laughs> maims us. And I don't just mean spiritually and emotionally. I mean like physically. Like it just does. And so I don't know this guy's story. I don't want to read too much into it. But it's okay that suffering and sin is more complicated than what we want it to be as Christians, right? Like we want to be like, this is how it works. But again, 
There's just some things about God and how this world works that I don't think we'll ever fully understand until Jesus returns. So, this is what happens. This guy has this interaction. So here's my observation um, from the story so far. This kind of, the story so far. This is um, my observation. It's just a quick one. At times, it seems like God doesn't see you for like 38 years. But Jesus came to show us that God does have eyes. And God does see you. Right? Remember, John is writing this so that we would believe in Jesus by seeing the signs that he did. I think sometimes we read this like it's fairy tales, and John was like, I've got to write this down so they can see what I've seen. So that they can have life in his name. That's a pretty big deal. And so when we read stories like this, and it seems kind of silly to me to say God has eyes, but that's what we see in the story. Jesus has eyes to see people in this world. And there will be times where it feels like he doesn't see us, but he does. He does. Okay? I don't, that's it on that point. I don't have it. Anyways, um, let's go to verse 15. Verse 15, it says this. So Jesus just said to him, hey, sin no more, nothing, that nothing worse may happen to you. And then it says this. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Can you, can you hear John's, like, tone in that? Like, I love how John explains it, right? He's like, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling himself, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Like, I love that John, like, puts the pieces together for us sometimes. So uh, Jesus says, hey, you know, he's sneak, sneaky. Jesus comes out and says, hey, like, uh, don't sin anymore. You're healed. Like, what? And, and then he's like, uh, they, I guess they, inter- he was like, uh, great. Like, what's your name though, right? Like at some point, and Jesus was like, Jesus. And, uh, and the guy's like, cool, 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 cool. And then immediately a man goes to the other religious leaders and goes, hey, it was Jesus. And they're like, we knew it. We knew it. I, like only one guy's been doing stuff like this. And it was him. And they, they just start to get madder and madder because he did this thing on the Sabbath. And, and, and then they're getting mad at Jesus' response because they see Jesus' response as Jesus making himself equal with God, which he was. So here's um, my next and probably last two points, if I remember my notes correctly. Uh, the first is this. It's possible for even the most devout believers to read their Bibles wrong. Right? These guys that were questioning this miracle, they knew the Bible. 
They had the Old Testament then. That was their Bible. They knew this thing through and through. They had this thing memorized. They spent time meditating on it every day. They talked about it. They taught on it all the time. These guys knew their Old Testament better than I currently know the Old Testament. And yet, they are deeply missing the point of what Jesus is doing. Right? Like, they're like, this guy is carrying a mat, and that guy healed on the Sabbath? No. That is not okay. Because we rest. We stop from working. We choose to be devout to God because that's what it says in our Bible, and that's how it says to be devout to God. Now, we know they added all this stuff onto the Sabbath. I think Eugene Peterson, he talks about Sabbath in the Old Testament being this idea of God wanting us to pray and play. And I think those are good categories uh, for Sabbath. And these guys went a much bigger extreme. Like this guy could not even walk with his yoga mat. Like he just couldn't even do that without getting in trouble. Also, can we just see like this guy literally went from like not walking to walking and they're like, but wait. How'd it happen? <laughs> like, like, you know, like they're just, they're so mad about, like the most devout people that know the Bible so well, who are so zealous for God, can totally read the Bible wrong. And that's what Jesus wanted to point out to them. Right? He goes, listen, my, my father's working and I'm working today. It's funny, there's something about in the verb, in the Greek verbs there, where it, and it's one of the few places, it's really only in this chapter, I think, in John, where Jesus is using a sort of word that means like a legal defense. And I think it means like a, a legal defense to their, their idea of what the law of the Bible said. And then Jesus was like giving his like, well, here's my defense back. And it's actually a very, very intelligent uh, defense, and we don't realize it, because rabbinical thought at the time was God never actually stops working. Like, that was just, they were like, God holds everything together. It's not like every, like, Sunday, or I guess it would be Saturday for them, every Saturday, just like, ev- everyone just, like, turns into jelly, or like, <laughs> like, it's not like that happens. And so they knew, like, they thought the creator God of the universe held everything together and was sovereign over all of it. And so there was even, like, rabbis would say, yeah, in a sense, God works, even on the Sabbath, in a sense. And that's Jesus' point. He goes, you guys think this. You guys think this. And yet this is how you're treating this man and treating me. They were just missing the point. Even the most devout can read their Bibles wrong. Even the most devout can read their Bibles wrong. And here's the problem. When we read our Bibles wrong, because I'm going to assume that you probably in here consider yourself devout or you're wondering and questioning and searching. But for those that think you're, you're devout, here's the problem when we get the Bible wrong. Often when we get the Bible wrong, we will oppress people. I hate that that's true. I hate that that seems to be a lesson of what we see in the Pharisees and a lesson of history even. But when we read the Bible wrong, 
even we will end up hurting and oppressing people and doing things that God did not really intend. We could talk about the Sabbath in particular and all the different things, and that's, that's honestly that's a sermon for another day. But clearly these guys were missing it, right? Like besides the fact that like a miracle happened and they thought the only way miracles happened was through the power of God, right? Like it's kind of just ridiculous. The power of God comes and heals this man and they almost act as if Jesus was like, let me heal you. Like, I've got to, like, like, as if any rabbi could come and just, like, clap three times, bark, and then someone's healed. Like, that's, like, how they're acting. But if a miracle happens, it only happens through the power of God. And yet they're still going, this is wrong, this is wrong. You think God doesn't know what day it is? And yet a lot of us, a lot of us, we do the same thing with the Bible. So here's why it's easy for us to read the story and like, yeah, boo Pharisees. Yeah, boo people I know. This happens every week now. I think it's like the Lord's trumpets. I don't know what's happening. Do you guys hear what I'm hearing every week? <laughs> All right, that's number two. I think there's seven or so. I don't know how. <laughs> I need to read Revelation again. I don't know how it works. Um, whew. Uh, so, some of us need to examine our hearts and be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves if we've just gotten ridiculous with the Bible. Right? You could see how this one's so veiled. They're like, we're trying to follow the Sabbath. And if you read the Old Testament verses about the Sabbath, you go like, no, it kind of makes sense what they were doing. But they were totally missing it, and they were totally adding on to it. And Guys, we do that. We do that. And we shouldn't. Because we're perverting God's word to us when we do that. We should be, we should be fearful to do that. Okay. Um, my next observation is this. And it's my last observation. In this story, some of you absolutely need to be challenged with the fact that Jesus was communicating that he was one with God, that he is equal with God, that he is indeed God in the flesh. And this is just one of many times he does it. It's a very popular trope in our society, a trope, I think it's just something like that's said over and over again. Um, it's, it's a very popular trope in our society that, that, Jesus was, that, that Jesus never communicated that he was God. That he never really said he was God, and, and it was really his disciples, and Paul in particular, that dastardly Paul, and, and like all these pe people just kind of like hijacked his teachings and said he's God when he wasn't, he never really communicated him, that he, he never said like, I am God, right? And, and so people just elevated it too much. And the only problem with that trope is it's just not true. It's just not true. Here's what you have in the Gospels. Jesus constantly saying things that make himself equal with God. Jesus constantly say, talking about a unity between him and the Father, which they were hearing as Yahweh, as God, a unity between him and the Father unlike anyone else's unity in the universe. 
He, I think, in so many ways communicated that he was God. And sometimes we can have that conversation. But not only did I, a whole bunch of his followers interacted with him in ways that said, you did this, so now I think you're God. And Jesus is essentially like, yep, right? You have Peter. You have Thomas. You have John himself who wrote this. Just read John chapter 1 and tell me that John didn't think Jesus was God because of what Jesus communicated to him. You even have the Pharisees now who hate this guy, and they're going, this guy's making himself equal with God. The way he's communicating, he's communicating. He's equal with God. And honestly, in, the, in other places in John, we're going to see how much more explicit it is that Jesus is saying, I am God. We even have Pilate, a Roman who doesn't care I think even about religion, and he even thinks Jesus seems to be communicating that he's God. So this trope in our society that's like, Jesus never said that, it's just not true. It's not historically accurate. Now, why does Jesus not say it in the way that, that we want to hear it? I, I think the reason is this. Jesus is very intentional about his actions. We've seen this. Time and time again, Jesus is very intentional for his actions. And I think this. He steps in to the people of Israel who should know God, should know who he is, should understand who he is. And it seems that Jesus wanted them to discover that he was Jesus. Maybe not discover, but realize that he was Jesus. Yahweh, God in the flesh. And so if you hear that trope and you're kind of enticed by that idea that Jesus never really claimed that, the only problem with that is the Bible and what everybody thought he was communicating and what Jesus was actually communicating. In a few weeks, to answer who he is, he's going to say, I am. And in Exodus, if you know the Bible at all, when Moses is like, who are you, burning bush? And God's like, I am. Like, come on, like, it doesn't get much more like, like that. Like, you know what I mean? If someone came up here and they were, had glasses on and they were drinking Coke Zero, you'd be like, they're making fun of Anthony right now, if you know me well enough. Like, <laughs> Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus is God, and that's what he communicated. Jesus claimed to be equal with God, and a whole lot of you got to wrestle with that. You've got to wrestle about what that means for how you view Jesus, how you view this world, how you view your own life, how you view his teachings, how you view how he lived. Jesus claimed to be God. Church, my hope is, after looking through this, is that as we watch Jesus heal, being himself, God in the flesh, we'd see him restoring his creation. We, we, that, as Jesus heals, that's what we see, is that we see God is in the flesh restoring his creation. My, my other hope is that as we see Jesus go to the cross, we realize this is part of God's restorative work as well. He is healing the world from sin and death as he dies on the cross, taking the penalty that our sins deserve. 
As we see Jesus heal, may we be reminded that Jesus' resurrection says to us one day we will have full and total healing and wholeness in him and only him. And he wants to share that with us one day. Church, may we believe that and see Jesus more clearly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking on eyes to see us. God, thank you that this book doesn't read like fables, because then I would maybe think it's made up. But it really does read like what would happen if God interacted with people and God spoke through people and God came in the flesh. Thank you that you did. I would be so lost and confused, God, if you did not take on flesh. God, we need you. Help us understand you more. Help us see you more clearly. Father, thank you for giving us your son. And Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing to us the son. God, we just need you. Help us see you and know you and love you more. Amen.